Now, you may not be able to see the light, but your denial of the truth doesn't change the truth. Truth does not change because people refuse to embrace it or obey it. Truth is truth all by itself. And so Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that unless you have a birth from upstairs, you can't see God's kingdom. Now, the scripture is very clear that the moment you have this birth from above, in a second's time, you're made alive on the inside. The Spirit of God comes to inhabit your soul. And you have a new ability to understand and comprehend spiritual truth that you didn't have before. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Understanding the Second Birth. We began to look yesterday at the second birth as addressed in chapter three of the Gospel of John, And we saw that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and a man who seemed to have everything the world prizes, still had questions about Jesus and whether he was truly the promised Messiah. He questioned Jesus, and Jesus told him to enter the kingdom of heaven, he needed to be born again. It is this status that we are looking at all week long, that of being born again. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. In Genesis 2, remember what God warned? He said, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. There's the good promise. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Now the Hebrew word for death means to separate, to sever. And immediately, the day they ate, they died. They were severed from the life of God. They began to corrupt physically. And instantaneously on that day, They died spiritually. The light went out. They lost the intimacy with God, and they lost the ability to really see and understand as God would have us to see and understand spiritual truth. So while we can't can't see spiritual truth with our physical eyes, um, or spiritual death with our physical eyes, the Lord illustrated this problem of death with this couple. So he says, the Bible says, Genesis 3.24, he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. Those are those holy angels. We'll be studying them this Wednesday night. And the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, the tree of life, had they eaten of it in their sinless state, they would have been immortal. They would have been forever confirmed with the Lord. But they listened to the tempter. They didn't listen to God. And so as an expression of the grace of God, God placed holy angels with a flaming sword of fire because God knew that had they eaten in their sinful fallen state, they would be forever confirmed in their sin. And so man died that day. He died a spiritual death. He lost his capacity to see and to have intimacy with God. And so because we're spiritually dead, we're born, the Bible says, Ephesians 2, 1, in our trespasses and sins, because we're spiritually dead, we are spiritually blind. Now, you see this all the time. You talk to people about the Lord and their need to be born again or to trust Christ as their Savior. What do they do? They immediately go into their religious heritage. Oh, I've been confirmed, or I've been baptized, or my daddy was a preacher, or my grandfather was a preacher. And and Jesus wants them to see something that they really can't see unless God opens their eyes. Now, what a blind man needs 
is more than light. He needs sight. Just exposing a man to the light will not make him see. A man cannot reason himself into the kingdom of God. This is a birth that comes from above. This is a supernatural work of Almighty God. And education alone won't help you to see it. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel, a very educated man. He would be considered uh, someone, uh, a graduate of the greatest theological institution of our day, a double or maybe triple Ph.D., But that was not enough. God needs to open your eyes to see the kingdom of God. Notice how the Bible describes us before we're saved. There is none righteous, not even one. You think you're here today and good enough to get into heaven? Here's God's evaluation. None righteous, not even one. Because the standard that you need to get into heaven is perfection. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. There's none who understands. There's our spiritual blindness. There's none who seeks for God. That's why the Lord Jesus will say in John 10, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, God wants to teach us, and he doesn't teach a select few He wants to open your eyes. Now, I have some hyper-Calvinistic friends who think that God opens the eyes just of the elect. Listen, God wants to open everyone's eyes because he wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. World means world. When God says he so loved the world, he means everybody. And when he will later say in John 16, for he, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will convict the world. That's everybody. Sin and righteousness and judgment. So at some point in your life, God will work. Now, God gives all men some light, general general revelation. And when you respond to that, God gives you more light. But I want to say, if you're here today, it's not by accident. If you're here today and you don't have the assurance that if this were your last day on earth, that you would absolutely go to heaven, it's the providence of God that brought you here. It's a loving God wooing you because you didn't come here on your own. The initiative didn't begin with you. It began with God. And so when God works, don't put him off. Don't say, I don't have time for this. There's an urgency to the gospel. And if you have ears to hear today, hear. The Bible says today is the day to be saved. Don't harden your heart. And so every unsaved man is walking in darkness. Now remember, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he's teaching And speaking to a highly educated man, the teacher of Israel. The problem with Nicodemus is not that he was blinded here, but that he was blinded here. You can be sitting here today with perfect 20-20 vision and be blind at the same time. And a blind man would be foolish to say that the light is not real. Or an atheist to say that what I am preaching is meaningless, some kind of fanaticism. That would be very foolish to deny the light. Now, you may not be able to see the light, but your denial of the truth doesn't change the truth. Truth does not change because people refuse to embrace it or obey it. Truth is truth all by itself. And so Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that unless you have a birth from upstairs, you can't see God's kingdom. Now, the scripture is very clear that the moment you have this birth from above, in a second's time, you're made alive on the inside. 
The Spirit of God comes to inhabit your soul. And you have a new ability to understand and comprehend spiritual truth that you didn't have before. And so, Nicodemus, if you really want answers, you need to see. And you can only see if you're born from above. This was a man who was lost. Look at verse 4. That he is still blind is apparent. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? The kind of question, of course, he asks reveals a lot about his spiritual state. One, there's an openness here because he doesn't ask why. He asks how. The Lord obviously had struck a chord in this man's heart because he knew somewhere deep down inside the religion that he had didn't really satisfy. And some of you have tried religion and you've rejected Christianity not because you rejected true Christianity, but a poor caricature of it. What you were rejecting was not the truth very often, but a misrepresentation of the truth. And this man deep down inside knew what he had didn't satisfy. And so he's asking and inquiring how here. Rabbi, how on earth can someone go through the birth process again? What do you mean born again? I don't understand. Jesus is talking about spiritual birth. Nicodemus is talking about physical birth. And so one, he wants you to understand you need the second birth to see. You'll never understand as God would have you to understand unless you're born from above. Secondly, you need the second birth to enter the kingdom of God. First, he said, see, I hope you circled that. Now in verse five, circle the word enter. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He just said you couldn't see, understand, and comprehend it apart from the new birth. Now he says you can't go to heaven apart from it. That's pretty serious. Now, by the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus did not mean some kind of political kingdom that the zealots of his day wanted him to bring. No, a Jew with the background that Nicodemus had, and obviously he knew the scripture because the Lord appeals later on in this conversation to his knowledge of scripture. He knew that there is a future dimension of the kingdom, something to come, that, when a, that in a future way, a person could have favor with God forever in what the New Testament repeatedly refers to as heaven. That the kingdom of God is a reference in the future is clear from the Gospels. Let me read a few verses. Mark 9, Jesus said, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into the hell into hell, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. Now, I've preached a sermon on that. You know, he's not literally referring to cutting off your, your hand or your foot. If you cut off your right hand, you got your left hand to execute the sin with. If you plug out your right eye, you get your left hand. Left eye in which to do it. He's dealing with mortification, not mutilation. A seriousness about sin, because before we're done, he's going to argue, we'll look at it next week, some of you here today won't become saved because you love sin. You love sin too much. And it's your love of sin that will keep you from a need for the Savior. And so he goes on and he says, and if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye 
than having two eyes to be cast into hell. So he's talking about entering into the kingdom of God versus entering into hell. And so Jesus makes a parallel between the kingdom and heaven. There's a future dimension to God's kingdom, but there's also a present dimension to the kingdom of God. When you come to Luke 17, 21, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God that is in your midst or within you. In describing the present dimension of the kingdom, Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's a dimension of the kingdom that can be experienced today. And so when the sinner trusts God, he finds favor with God, and he submits to the rule of God. To enter into God's kingdom is to submit to the king. It's to enter into his rule. And in Matthew 7, when he deals with all those folks who think they're born again, you discover in eternity at the judgment that they're not born again. Why? Because they wouldn't enter into God's rule. <laughs> you can't take the works of the king without taking the king himself. You submit to the rule of God's kingdom. Now, like most of his Jewish friends, I'm sure that Nicodemus thought that being born a Jew would bring him into the kingdom of God. But ever since the sin of Adam in Genesis 3, we've all been born outside of the kingdom, and it's only by being born again that we can enter the kingdom of God. Now, don't forget to whom he is saying this. Nicodemus really emphasizes the necessity of all of us to have a new birth. From a human point of view, he was already a very attractive person. He was a Jew, a member of God's covenant people. He was a Pharisee. And so he was committed to the righteousness of the law. He was a leader in the community. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher of teachers. He was a man who has learned uh, well of the scriptures. He was polite in the way he approached the Lord Jesus. He was appreciative of his ministry. He represented really the finest and noblest of Judaism in his day. Religious, educated, cultured, courteous. But he wasn't born again. And you must be born again. He was still blind. Now, that's the need of the second birth. Secondly, this morning, I want you to think about the nature, the nature of the second birth. What precisely is the makeup? What is the character of this second birth? Well, three things I think that are important that are highlighted in this verse. First, I want you to see this second birth is a spiritual birth. It's a spiritual birth. Look at verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It cannot produce a spiritual birth by physical means. Which, by the way, is a reminder to me that being born of water has absolutely nothing to do with baptism. Applying literal physical water to a person can never bring about a spiritual birth. This birth comes from above. Born of water cannot refer to baptism, as some people say. Some people say that unless you're baptized, you won't go to heaven. Heresy. Absolute heresy. It is a different gospel. And Paul said, if anyone comes to you preaching a gospel different from the one which I delivered to you, let him be anathema, accursed. Literally, the thought is damned to hell. If baptism saved, Jesus misspoke in John 
He should have said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him and is baptized should not perish but have eternal life. Now, baptism is a good work. It's called in Matthew 3, a deed of righteousness. Titus 2 says we're not saved on the basis of deeds done in righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Baptism is a work. Jot this down. When somebody from the Church of Christ or some other denomination comes to you and says, or they think that baptism saves, give them 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. Paul there said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That tells me that baptism and the gospel are mutually exclusive of one another. You say, why is that important? Because Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It's important because it's God's plan, God's power for salvation is found in the gospel. You say, wonderful, baptism is not a part of the gospel. The gospel saves. What's the gospel? Glad you asked. Paul said, Now I made known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. All right, the gospel saves me. What is it? Verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The death burial and resurrection of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so baptism is important. It's not to be uh, minimized, but it's only a symbol. It's our public confession of faith. It's more than a symbol, though. It's a step of obedience we take after we're saved to say by immersion that we believe and have trusted in the one who died, was buried, and risen from the dead. So what does it mean to be born of water? Well, some say it refers to baptism. Some take a sacramental view of the phrase. Martin Luther argued that being born of the water was infant baptism and that God infused grace in the waters of baptism. Now, he said in that sense that it led a man to faith. Now, Luther was not a heretic, but he misunderstood. He was a Catholic for a long time and trying to work his way through a number of different issues. And so he put a different spin on it. Unlike the Catholic Church, it says baptism in the Baltimore Catechism washes away sin and instills salvation to the soul. Luther said that infant baptism gave prevenient grace, that is, pre-salvation grace. So when a parent baptized their little infant, that God... Uh, put a prevenient, a pre-salvation grace, so that later on they would want to consider the claims of the Lord because he knew that man was dead in sin. And though God took the first move, that man couldn't be saved. The only problem is the rest of the New Testament doesn't teach that prevenient grace comes to infant baptism. And the other problem is there's not a single verse in all of the Bible where an infant is ever baptized. Some say water here is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Well, it is true that John uses water as a reference to the Spirit in John 7, but the context here doesn't bear that out. The argument would make no sense. Some say it's a reference to John's baptism, that unless man is, repent, is repentant and born of the Spirit. Well, it is true that unless you repent, Jesus said, you will likewise perish. But again, the context doesn't bear it out that this is a reference to repentance. Some say it's a reference to the Word of God, since the Word of God is like a cleansing instrument. And it's likened to water in Titus chapter 2. It is. 
but not in this text of Scripture. The best thing you need to do is look carefully at the context. Let the Scripture speak for itself. There's been a lot of ingenious interpretations of what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. The church fathers, those closest to the apostles, were unanimous that water here was a reference to physical birth. And I think they're right because the context bears it out. When you were first born, physically born, your mother's water broke and you came into this world. But physical birth is not enough to make you right with God. You must be born spiritually. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be born even a Jew. You must be born again. Now, follow the argument here. Let's look at the flow of thought. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born twice, born from above, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born twice, Nicodemus, if, if you're going to see and enter God's kingdom. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? I don't understand this thought of being born twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Let me explain, Nicodemus. You were born physically, but I'm not talking about physical birth as your question seems to indicate. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Nicodemus, you must be both born both physically and spiritually. You must be born of both water and the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your first birth. That's the physical birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's your second birth from above when the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit you. Flesh gives birth to, to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. Physical birth is one thing. Spiritual birth is another. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born two times. Now, Jimmy Carter didn't think this up. Some people, oh, we're born again. Where is this in the Bible back in the 70s? And it became popular. No, it was original with the Lord Jesus, the term, though its teaching goes all the way back, as we'll see in a moment, to the Old Testament. So understand, being born again is not just a nice thing, it's a necessary thing. It's not something just for Baptists and Pentecostals. It's true for every person. Now, I'm not saying that all of us will be born again in the same way. That all of us will have some kind of Damascus Road experience like the Apostle Paul had. I'm not even saying that all of us can pinpoint precisely when that birth took place. Now, it is true, it takes place in a moment's time when you depart from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But not everyone can remember precisely. And God does not give assurance in the New Testament on your ability to pinpoint a day. In fact, I despise all kinds of stereotypes. But I do say, without apology and with absolute dogmatism, that unless you've been born again, you're not going to heaven. It's absolutely necessary in order to see and enter the kingdom of God. Now, the second birth is a spiritual birth that brings about the emergence of a new person, that brings about a new life. If any man is in Christ, the Bible says, he is a new creation. Oh, you have the same body, you have the same face, you have the same name, you have the same passport, you have the same fingerprints, you have even the same temperament but you are a different person. Now, if you are an extrovert, 
before you were born again. You'll be an extrovert after you're born again, though you may be easier to live with. <laughs> if you're an introvert before you're born again, you'll be an introvert after you're born again, though you may be easier to live with yourself. You have the same personality, but you have a new life, a new heart, that as we'll see next time, it will change your attitudes, your actions, your behavior, your motives. There's a new awareness of the things of God. The Spirit bears witness, Paul says, with your spirit that you've become a child of God. Is that true of you today? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with you that there's been a change on the inside or is it just the same old, same old? Now, I hope you're listening to what the Lord is saying because one birth is not enough. If you've been born once, and you die having been born once, the Bible says you will die twice. First physically, then spiritually. And anyone's name who is not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if you are not born again, there will come a time in your life when you will wish that you were never born at all. That's how serious this is. This chapter will close in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son, because eternal life brings a change of kingdoms, you come under the reign of the King. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You say, I don't totally understand the second birth. Well, we need to remember that the second birth is not simply a spiritual birth, but I want you to also to note that the second birth is a mysterious birth. Jesus taught that. Here in verse 8, there's a certain mystery to it. The wind blows, he said, where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, it's not by accident that the Greek word for wind and the Greek word for spirit are identical. And the Lord is making a comparison here to the ways of the Holy Spirit and the ways of wind. Both are invisible. Neither can be controlled by man, or for that matter, neither fully understood. Now, we think we know with all of our modern instruments how wind totally operates. They told us two weeks ago that Jeannie was going to be eaten up by Hurricane Lisa and we didn't have anything to worry about. And here it is upon the south in this morning. They said uh, that Ivan was gone and it would never come back. And then Ivan, too, showed its ugly head. Nicodemus, tell me where the wind comes from and where it goes. You hear it, you see it, you feel it, but you don't understand it. Don't try to figure it out all, Nicodemus. You can't fully explain the wind. No more than you can fully explain the working of the Holy Spirit. Listen, friend, don't be surprised that with your little puny finite mind that you cannot fully explain the infinite God. So is everyone, Jesus said, who is born of the Spirit. Those who have been born again, those who have been born twice, are not fully understood by those who have been born just once. Einstein feared that he would die before he understood electricity. To this day, we know how it operates, but we cannot fully explain it. Yet we use it all the time. Likewise, I cannot explain all of the wonder and mystery of the second birth, but I can tell you how to get it and how wonderful it is. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 
7478 and requesting program John 007. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help sustain this ministry, please click the Give button on our app or visit searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the Scriptures.